0: Welcome to the Life and Ellen podcast. Exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. Well, when when someone asks you to tell you tell them a little bit about yourself, what do you say? Does anyone else feel a little bit of dread? When that question comes up with the small groups or the icebreaker, tell me a little bit about yourself. The interviewer might ask, what words should you use? Well, for me, it's like, huh, I'm a faith leader, I'm a pastor, I'm a cat mom, I'm a daughter. I like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> How does one fun fact encapsulate your identity? What icebreaker can break the fear that maybe your fun fact isn't enough? It's all too easy to attempt to define oneself by the roles we play or the things or people we love. We even remember our loved ones this way. If you think about when a person passes away, we put on their, on their tombstone or their grave uh, so-and-so loving father, faithful husband, these roles, these words come to make up our whole identity. And so maybe this is why we like to dress up once a year as big kids. We've got the, the Kansas City Chiefs coach in the audience today. I didn't know I would get to preach to, to a coach, um, but we, we like this, this experience, right? Because maybe for once a year we can explore and transcend the roles that have started to box us in. For once a year, at least, with a decent wig from Spirit Halloween, we are completely transformed into someone new. And so we get to imagine and be creative with our identities again. Uh, Clearly, not just children enjoy playing dress up. Adults do too. But kids feel very comfortable dressing up. And think about it. Today, one day they're a firefighter. Tomorrow they're an astronaut. And they don't really worry about the logistics of that transition. (laughs) They just enjoy imagining all these new ways that they can show up in the world. Because maybe they do this because they don't yet have a job or a relationship or a role that completely defines them. They're just them. So when do we lose that as adults? When do we become preacher or poet or struggling artist or barista or tired mom? When do we forget the basic truth of who we are? And what if our true identity isn't something we can change at all? What if it is Jesus who actually calls us who we are and defines us, our truest identity? Today we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus, um, And you may have heard this story before, but it's an interesting story where Jesus unravels any ideas that Zacchaeus has about who he is or the roles and labels that define him. And he also unravels the people around Zacchaeus who try to judge him and put him into these labels and roles that are not really his true identity So if you want to follow along, we're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke. We're gonna be in chapter 19, the very beginning of 19. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and um, Jeff looks like he would be willing to grab you a Bible. He really does. If you need one, like he's ready. So um, thank you, Jeff. (laughs) So this, this story, is, is, is really encapsulates so much of the Gospel. Um, and it's got a lot of visual detail. Sometimes in scripture we hear about things that happen but we can't really imagine it because we can't really visualize it. So hear this story and I want you to let it come alive in your imagination. Imagine that you are in the crowd, you are there. And as you use your imagination, maybe you're not in the crowd. Maybe you're somewhere else. Notice where you feel drawn to in the story. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man there was named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in nature and stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome Jesus. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. This is the word. Of our Lord, thanks be to God. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now we don't really—it's hard to imagine a contemporary version of this. But think about the meanest person on the phone with the IRS that you can imagine. <laughs> uh, that's the closest example I can get to. But think about someone who whose job it is to collect revenue, but. Instead of just the IRS, this was an unjust system, right? Because the tax collector was getting rich off of the revenues of other people. So obviously Zacchaeus is labeled as a sinner. He is rich. He must be antithetical to everything that Jesus stands for, right? So he doesn't get to be part of salvation, does he? Well, this is the assumption that those that surround him have. They start to grumble, the text says. And don't we know that that word? Maybe some of us have grumbled in our spirit when we see someone else be invited to the table that we weren't expecting. Or others have grumbled when we have been invited to the table. And we know the pain it is to feel that grumble of judgment from others that we thought would be our fellow friends. But here Jesus is disrupting the whole paradigm. He's flipping it on his head because someone who is labeled as sinner is the very person that takes Jesus' attention The gospel is full of examples where Jesus disrupts labels, stereotypes, and limiting beliefs about who others are. When others start to identify themselves by these boxes, tax collector, sinner, Jesus shows up and calls someone by name. Reminding them of who their true identity is. And Jesus continually does this by showing who he is. You see, he, he, remember he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus knows who he is. And this is a fundamental part about Jesus. Others seem to get so focused on the roles, the labels, the names. Throughout the gospels, Jesus keeps saying, this is who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love God. I am the son of God. But humans, they don't get it. They want to box him in. They want to find those labels of righteous and sinner forgiven and unforgiven clean and unclean leper and someone who doesn't have leprosy they want to give and they want to box Jesus in too they want to they want Jesus desperately to fit into a label that suits their own religious and political needs Jesus is a criminal, a heretic, a rabbi who's getting a little out of line with the religious order. Those that challenge Jesus need him to fit into a box because they cannot understand someone who doesn't fit into a box. But Jesus keeps showing up, and he keeps interrupting this pattern that we as humans have to box him in, to box ourselves in, and to box others in. Because, again, Jesus knows who he is. And where does Jesus get his identity from? Who God says he is. It's kind of like, um, it just goes... It's a direct connection to God. And Jesus knowing who he is is what allows him to live so purely and authentically in every moment. He doesn't have to have that phase of figuring himself out in his 20s. (laughs) He doesn't have to experiment with other identities. He doesn't have to hide behind a label He knows who he is and who he is not. And my friends, this is the gift that he wishes for us to unwrap. It's a gift that we can have too, but it will unravel us. It will unravel the other identities that we cling to. Because there is no identity apart from Christ. We are who Jesus says we are. But what does that mean? What denomination is that, Jenna? (laughs) Is that Baptist? Is that Methodist? Is that progressive, liturgical, conservative? We need a box. We need an identity. One identity I find myself clinging to is one of the good Christians. But that's still a box. That's still me defining myself. So let's go back to Zacchaeus. How does Zacchaeus get his life unraveled? Well, first of all, he is curious enough to see Jesus. It's his curiosity that leads him to the sycamore tree. So remember that your curiosity is holy. You're wanting to see Jesus is holy. And maybe you don't have the whole thing figured out, but you want to get closer to what's happening. It's curiosity that leads Zacchaeus to this encounter. Not having the right answers, not being perfect as a person. We already talked about the fact he was perceived as a sinner by everybody. So it wasn't his moral perfection that led him to this encounter. It wasn't his own righteousness that led him to this encounter. It wasn't that he, he knew the right people. You know, like if Jesus is coming to town, you know people who know people. He, he got in with the crowd, right? which is how so much of our world works. But Jesus' world doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or someone who lives on the streets, if you're a tax collector, or someone who can't, doesn't want to pay taxes. <laughs> Whoever you are, Jesus will seek you out and will talk with you Especially when you respond to your own curiosity. So he, he climbs a tree to get a good view. It's kind of like when we make plans to go to a parade and we map out the route. How can we get a good view? Um, so he's willing to climb because the text says he's short in stature. Frederick Beekner says he was a runt, and I think that's a little harsh. I would say maybe he's a short king, as our culture likes to say. But it wasn't even his physical appearance that made him very special. He had to climb to new heights, literally, to get a glimpse of Jesus. We can't read this story without looking back to chapter 18 and comparing it with a previous text that shows us the true meaning and and what, what this is really saying. In chapter 18, because remember, Jesus is on the move and he's talking to all kinds of different people, and he talks to a certain ruler, the text says, and this ruler says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is in chapter 18, verse 18, if you want to flip back and see that. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. And then the ruler says back, I have kept all of these since my youth. And then what does Jesus say? He says to this wealthy ruler, then go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. See, the ruler is trying to get salvation in a very methodical way. He's trying to get the right answers. He's trying to do the right thing so that he can get something from God. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not good teacher, what must I do to get closer to you? to be in communion with you, to be your follower. But what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus challenges him back and says, you know what, you know the commandments, but it's not just about those. It's not just about memorizing the rule book. It's about a living, breathing relationship filled with grace with Jesus. So we're going to compare that with Zacchaeus. This, the ruler in chapter 18 is focused on being pious, on getting things right. And he wants to inherit eternal life, but he becomes sad when Jesus tells him what salvation will require of him specifically. Now Zacchaeus is another wealthy person who people perceive as a sinner. And Zacchaeus wasn't necessarily seeking salvation, but he found it because he was curious to see Jesus. So what does that tell us about being a follower of Jesus? You see, this this is still alive thousands of years later we're still focusing on the wrong thing as Christians. We're focusing on the rules. We're focusing on getting to heaven. But you can follow all the good Christian rules. You can read your Bible every day. You can memorize the 10 Commandments. But it is Christ who will tell you who you are and what you should do. We must continue to make room for people to have experiences with Jesus, instead of shaming them for not looking like Christians in the way that Christians should look like. And in fact, my friends, we should become less interested in being good Christians and more interested in simply encountering Christ. That's what matters. How often do we allow our faith to become about us? What we will inherit or achieve or receive? About the roles we get to play in God's great play as the saved people? But what if the main character is not us, but Jesus? Zacchaeus knew this. He knew he wasn't the main character of the story. He was going to see the main character. And he was willing to be a supporting actor, have a supporting role. What if Jesus wants to encounter us, to meet us in our holy curiosity and unravel everything we think we know about what defines us? about the roles and the labels that are important to who we are? What if we need to let God be God and let Jesus tell us who we are and what we need to do to be saved? Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, tax collector. Hey, sinner. But when he sees him in the tree, he says, What does he say? Y'all tell me. He calls him by name because those other labels don't matter to him. He sees through all of that and he sees the human being in front of him who was created by God and who is worthy of love. That's what Jesus sees. And that's the kind of vision that Christ can give to us so that we can see others that way. Do you get it? Give us new eyes, God, so that we can see the world that way through the way that you see it, not the way that we see it with our blinders on, our blinders of judgment and labels and boxes. Take those away, God, so that we can see each other he doesn't say hey sinner he says hey Zacchaeus and then he has the audacity oh my lord to go over to his house y'all don't even know how big a deal this is this is the son of God this is this is our savior who goes to the home of someone who is rejected by society And you might think, well, Zacchaeus had it going pretty well. He had a lot of money. Like, he was doing all right. Having a lot of money doesn't mean you're doing all right. Okay? It doesn't mean that you've tasted the true riches of God. And there is no one who isn't worthy of Jesus' love. He goes over to his house and they, we don't know what happens. That's where the story kind of ends. It's, it's interesting. You know, maybe they share a meal together. Maybe, um, obviously, Zacchaeus has a change of heart, which we're going to talk about too. He changes his heart. He says, I'll, I'll make it right. If I've defrauded anyone, I will make it right. And Jesus Says salvation has come to this house, this house that no one expected it to. He invites him, he comes to his house, which is an important part here, um, because again, Jesus is undoing any idea that. God must be kept behind certain walls, that God must only be in the temple because Jesus says, I am the temple. My body is the temple. And that means that the temple's on the move. (laughs) The temple can go into different homes and commune in ways that change everything. Sinners, become beloveds strangers become friends because Christ meets meets humanity it would have been understandable for Jesus to just reprimand Zacchaeus We would have understood if Jesus decided to just say, you know, listen, you're in the wrong and you're a sinner, stop doing what you're doing and I won't talk to you until you change. But it's only after, it's only, Zacchaeus only changes after Jesus has talked to him. It's the encounter that births the transformation. Frederick Beatner is one of my favorite writers, and um, he just has a way with words. And so, um, his, this is his kind of rendition of this story. He says, The story goes like this The sawed off shyster is perched in the sycamore tree. Jesus opens his mouth to speak. All Jericho hugs itself in anticipation of hearing Jesus give the man holy hell. Woe unto you, repent, wise up is the least of what they expect. What Jesus says is, come on down, I'm staying at your house. The mob points out that the man Jesus is talking to is a public disaster. Jesus' silence is deafening. It's not reported how Zacchaeus got out of the sycamore, but chances are good that he fell out in pure astonishment. (laughs) He said, I'm giving everything back in spades. Maybe he even meant it. He fell out of that tree. And that's the, that's, I like that version of the story too. He was astonished by the mercy. He hurried on down because the king of the world wanted to spend time with him. So what might an encounter with Jesus look like for you? How could your curiosity lead you closer? How can you notice curiosity? What does it feel like? What is it, what's the texture of it? What does it look like? And pay attention to that curiosity. Where is it leading you? And then what might Jesus say to you? in your time of prayer, in your time of study, what role do you think defines you? What category has society put you in? And are you convinced that somehow you are far away from mercy? Who in the world around you do you find yourself judging in your heart? when do you start to grumble? And instead of grumbling, how might you instead take a deep breath and be grateful that God's grace is indeed so big? That at some point you'll be the one that they're grumbling about. It's inevitable. then, my friends, be willing to receive the mercy of Jesus. The mercy that says, I don't care what roles you cling to. I don't care the identities that you think define you. Who you are is who I say you are. And that's enough. What would it look like to exchange piety for curiosity to exchange right answers for true righteousness to exchange perfect Christianity for a perfect Christ come down from the tree Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, let's be ready, amen.